0: You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee.
1: And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's July 22nd.
0: Within the next month or so, the U.S. labor market will likely have recovered all 22 million jobs lost in the pandemic recession. Among modern recessions, this is unprecedented. America has never recovered so many jobs so quickly. And while there are growing concerns about inflation bringing on yet another recession, this moment is worth celebrating, says rand economist Catherine Edwards. But she also warns that the danger in declaring victory over a recession is failing to consider the unevenness of success. One standout issue during the pandemic recession and recovery has been the declining labor force participation of women. Although both men and women saw a large drop in labor force participation at the start of the recession, participation among men has returned to its pre-pandemic level. But there are still nearly 1 million fewer women working than before COVID-19 hit, What's more, the factors that have been squeezing women out of the workforce are, by some measures, getting worse, not better. This labor force decline among women has been particularly large among women of color. When compared with labor force participation among Black and Hispanic women, the decline for white women was smaller to start and remained smaller throughout the pandemic. This difference is particularly notable given the fact that, in general, Black women have much higher rates of labor force participation and white women have the lowest participation of the three groups. Edwards says that it's difficult to parse exactly why the pandemic recession and recovery treated men and women differently, and treated women of color differently than white women. But there's one thing we know for certain, she says. In the past, expansions of affordable and accessible care, in particular child care, have increased the number of women working.
1: America's mental health emergency hotline, 988, went live last week. The new emergency number could potentially connect tens of millions of Americans to the mental health services they need. Here's Stephanie brooks Holiday, who co-authored a RAND study leading up to the launch of the hotline.
2: The launch of 988 is an important milestone for a couple of reasons. First, it is a transition to an easier-to-remember phone number, and so the goal is to be able to connect more people with the services that they need. The second reason why the launch of 988 is so important is because counties and regions and states across the country are taking this as an opportunity to reexamine their continuum of mental health emergency services.
1: The study that Holliday and her co-authors conducted examined how prepared states and counties were for the 988 rollout. What they found was that many state and county mental health program directors felt unprepared. In fact, a majority of the directors we surveyed reported that they didn't have the staffing, financing, or infrastructure needed to support the hotline. And most were not involved in developing a strategic plan or budget for setting up the 988 system. These issues could affect the hotline's ability to operate successfully, and the stakes are high. Here's Holiday again.
2: The reason that RAND did this study to understand how prepared states and counties are for the launch of 988 is because we think that 988 represents a tremendous opportunity. To connect people all over the country who are experiencing mental health emergencies with the care that they need. We think that expanding access is so critical at this point in time, especially when we know that mental health concerns are growing across the country.
1: If you'd like to hear more from our researchers about this study or see the full results of our survey on 988, visit rand.org.
0: After a long period of decline, the rate of homicides in the U.S. began rising in 2014. This has been driven entirely by an increase in firearm homicides. In fact, in 2019, firearm use accounted for three of every four homicides. To learn more about this troubling trend, RAND researchers examined firearm-related homicides from 2006 through 2019. They found that many of the geographic regions and demographic groups that already were heavily exposed to firearm violence had experienced some of the largest recent increases in firearm homicides. The overall increase in firearm homicides has primarily affected states in the South, Central, and Midwest parts of the nation. The states that experienced the largest relative increases in such killings were Missouri, Alaska, New Mexico, Kentucky, and Alabama. On the other hand, the states that experienced the lowest relative increases were Connecticut, New York, Nebraska, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. And a look at the demographics shows that the increase in firearm homicides has disproportionately affected American Indians Alaska Natives, and Black people. Notably, these disparities are specific to firearm homicide and are not seen in other types of killings. The study's lead author, RAND researcher Rosanna Smart, said, quote, "...research is urgently needed to understand the societal shifts that contribute to these large changes in firearm violence within particular groups and to identify ways to reverse those trends." For much more on this topic, check out the Rand Gun Policy in America initiative at www.rand.org/gunpolicy.
1: 2022 marked the end of the third school year during the COVID-19 pandemic. What challenges are America's educators and teachers facing? Results from a new Rand survey reveal some important insights from school district leaders across the country. Here's an overview. of districts changed operations in one or more schools at some point in the most recent school year because of teacher shortages. The typical school district has increased substitute teachers' daily pay 6% above pre-pandemic levels. That's after adjusting for inflation. More than three-quarters of districts have increased their number of teaching and non-teaching staff above pre-pandemic levels roughly half of district leaders see a fiscal cliff looming after COVID-19 federal aid expires that they're trying to prepare for. As in fall 2021, district leaders had high levels of concern about student and staff mental health, and about half were concerned that political polarization about critical race theory was interfering with schooling. In addition to operational and staffing challenges and concerns about mental health and political polarization, survey respondents also discussed low student attendance, declining student enrollment, and pandemic-related learning loss. RAND experts say that even though many of the challenges that district leaders face may exceed their control, they can still act. For example, district leaders can focus on intensive responses to address students' mental health and academic learning, and they can share information with each other and their state education agencies to help spread successful ideas as they head into the next school year.
0: The study of women's health issues has long been underfunded. This has dangerous implications for women's health. Take heart disease, for example. It's the number one cause of death among women in the U.S., But because nearly all foundational cardiovascular research was primarily performed on male bodies, the picture of cardiovascular disease in women was not well understood. It wasn't until scientists began studying the condition in women that they found it was necessary to diagnose and treat it differently. Now, it's worth noting that the problem of generalizing from research that is not representative of all sexes cuts both ways. Men suffer because of it too. For instance, there currently aren't great treatments for osteoporosis in men because it occurs four times as often in women. Much the same is true with other perceived women's diseases, such as breast cancer. But the fact remains that the scientific evidence base generally is biased toward the male body. This is the result of a long history of providing generous funding for diseases that predominantly affect men and underfunding those that predominantly affect women. This problem and the resulting distortions continues today. What is funded creates what is known. Greater investments in women's health research would surely improve women's lives and health outcomes, And according to a recent RAND study, it could also add billions to the U.S. economy. RAND researchers arrived at this conclusion after modeling the downstream effects of making one-time increases in the National Institutes of Health budget for studying three diseases specifically in women, coronary artery disease, rheumatoid arthritis, and Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. The economic benefits came from new knowledge gained, the development of new treatments, and the lives that would be prolonged, saved, and made more productive by better treatments. And by making relatively small investments to help build the same robust evidence base for women's health that already exists for men, it would create even bigger returns and life improvements for both sexes. One of the study authors, RAND's Chloe Bird, puts it this way, quote, The cost of the science pales in comparison to the price we continue to pay for what we don't know about caring for women.
1: RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on today's episode, check the show notes at rand.org podcast. We'll see you next week.